If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Anna Lusfeldt. Anna is a co-founder of Equine Support International, and with this company she transfers the equestrian Dutch knowledge to countries where equestrian sport is growing rapidly. Anna's one of a team of riders, trainers, veterinarians and dreamers united by one international goal, and that is to transfer the equestrian knowledge to make horses healthier and riders happier. Equine Support International combines backgrounds in equestrian training, business and education to increase the knowledge and skills in equestrian centres abroad. They use a large network of professionals to advise, educate, connect local people and help optimise the equestrian sport worldwide. ESI was created out of a desire to help train riders and owners in different countries with their newly imported European horses, which starts from the ground up with welfare and management of horses being their first priority. Hi, Anna, how are you? Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very fine. That was kind of a long introduction. Thanks for that. <laughs> yes, it was a long one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think you're coming in with a little bit of a different angle, and I think it's important that people can understand that right from the start. So is there anything else that you would like to add to that, or can we get on with the favourite quote? No, I think I think this was a very decent introduction. So. Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you. What is your favourite quote, Anna? Yeah, my favourite quote has always been, um, if you can dream it, you can do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is what my mom always said to me when I was a kid. And until now, I think that quote really has been um, an inspiration for me because I've never thought it was possible to do what I'm doing right now. Um, and then I have another quote that I really like, which is um, a little bit more uh, regarding to my current activities and the work we do abroad. And this is a quote that says, with no incomes caring and with caring comes change. Um, and this is really a quote that, that helps me to... Um, yeah, to, to think about how um, yeah how people need the knowledge to be able to change something. And this is something that we see in our work a lot. Other people, they don't know actually um, how to take good care of a horse or what the horse actually really needs. Yes. Um, yeah, so then if they first start to, to know, then they can start to care and then they can change. Yeah. So I think this is a very powerful quote as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing abroad. But first of all, tell us something about you when you were young and one of your early memories with horses. You know, if you remember the particular day or an incident that happened or something that happened when you were quite young. Well, I think this is a very funny question, at least for me, because um, I was terrified when I started riding. 
And I loved ponies and I loved watching them. I loved brushing and cuddling and doing everything on the ground. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I had to get into the saddle, I was terrified. And I started when I was like five or six years old. Um, yeah, so I... From this point, looking back, I'm always surprised that I really managed to to push through this fear um, and that I I don't really even understand why, what I was liking even about it, because I was really, really scared to uh, to get on. But luckily, uh, I managed to to continue, because otherwise my life would have been much different. Mm -hmm. Was that before you ever got on, or did you ride early and then get a bit of a fright yourself, and that's why you were scared to get back on? No, I was just, um, I was always um, afraid to get on. And even the smallest ponies were, in my opinion, already too big for me. Yes. So it, I just started riding on very little Shetland ponies. But they, I considered them as huge horses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just thinking about if you can dream it, you can do it. Back then, did you ever dream about riding horse and being brave? Or did you, how did you overcome that fear? No, I always wanted to. Um, I always wanted to be um, a good rider, and I've always been riding and training and and owning uh, or having my own horses. But I've actually I just studied business economics, and I never really had the goal or the ambition to uh, to make horses my work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just decided, okay, let's just have a, a good job, find a good job do uh, good studies and then from there uh, being able to uh, to buy my own horses so I always wanted to be a good um, amateur rider and a good rider in a sense of being good for my horses and, and want to learn more um, but I never really had the plan to really make it my work um, and then later on when I had a serious job for like an office job for half a year I really um, felt that this was not the job for me, so I moved to Mexico or initially just for a couple of months to help a, a Dutch rider there at her barn to um, to train and, and teach. And then I decided to come back for another two or three months and then another, and then initially I ended up living there for two years. Yes. And that is really uh, where, where everything changed in my life, where I really said goodbye to my... Uh, my business economic background, mm-hmm. and I said hello to the horses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If someone's going to start to work in the horse industry, what are the core skills or character traits do you think that they need to get started? You're in contact with a lot of people from different parts of the industry, so what would you say that they need to get started to work in the horse industry? What I see a lot right now in the market is that there are so many riders, there's so many trainers, like professionally. Um, and I think there is so much more to it. So what I really would recommend somebody who wants to to start a career in the horse industry is look for your niche and be creative and try to figure out where you really can add value. Um, because everybody right now does the same, like teaching, training, selling horses. Um, but I think the market also needs much more um, knowledge in a way of saddle fitters um, or saddle fitters, chiropractors, um, farriers, 
there's so much more to it. Um, and I think that if you're able to find your really a niche market and excel in your own market, I think that's a very important thing to, to find for people who want to start. Okay. I think that's very good advice, very business-like advice. I think you've brought in a bit of knowledge there from your business degree, you know, to do with the being the best you can be yeah. within your own niche. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think it's important that people, um, especially like I'm 29, mm-hmm. like the new generation that comes up, like use the, the current technology, use um, new innovations, be, uh, be creative in that because the world goes so fast right now. But what I see is that the equestrian sport is kind of conservative and little by little new innovations are coming up and we see more and more um, new technologies being used. And I think this is really something for uh, for the next generation in in the equine industry that I use use the new technologies and, and use your time that we live in. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What's the best thing do you think about working with horses and working in the horse industry? Um, for me, it's definitely the combination between um, being uh, working with horses, so teaching and riding, because that is also what I do. But I don't do it full time. So um, I combine um, running a business with all the um, administration, but also strategy and, and making new products. How are we doing our marketing? So really the, the strategic side of the business, running a business um, and, and the horse part where I'm really uh, leaving the office and changing into my uh, my breeches. Yeah. So um, that's for me really one of the one of the best things of working in the equine industry right now. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about Equine Support International. How did it get started? What was the key that you thought I've got to do something here? Because you're a co-founder. You know, what was the conversation that you had with your other co-founder, and what was the need in the market to make you form Equine Support International? Yeah, so um, Carlijn Pontenagel, that's the co-founder of uh, Equine Support International, she lived for or she worked in um, in China and where she also lived and worked and she was working on a project for Kenny Bartels with Tineke and, uh, and Imke Bartels. Yes. And um, at that time I was living in Mexico and we didn't even know each other back then. But what she was doing there in China and what I was doing in Mexico was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sharing knowledge and, and trying to to help people there to gain knowledge and make sure that the horses could perform better. So we actually met, um, I think you were also there, um, on one of the um, part and lifestyle uh, workshops. Mm-hmm. So we just met coincidentally. We started talking. We had this big um, connection. And she was explaining about her time in China, and I was talking about my time in Mexico. And then from there, actually, we really saw the need of, of knowledge in these countries where the equestrian sport is growing so uh, so fast. And then from there, actually, we started our business. Yeah, that was the first um well, yeah, the yeah. first meeting with each other. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. And now you've got your riders, trainers, veterinarians, and as you say, dreamers. How did you get the others on board? How does that work? You know, you've got this big plan, big mission, big dream to go out and um, help improve the knowledge. Because 
You know, I know that we've gone through a phase in Australia where we used to have a lot of thoroughbreds and everyone used to ride and compete on their their thoroughbred. Like to have a thoroughbred, you sort of have a whole lot of brumbies and ponies and just odds and ends and then you graduate to a thoroughbred and then everyone had thoroughbreds. But I know myself, you know, going from a thoroughbred to a warm blood, it was a big step to go from a thoroughbred to warm blood. I mean, now it's it's easy because, you know, we've sort of been riding warm bloods for a long time. But the other country must be going through this phase as well where they've got a certain type of horse and a certain temperament of horse and then they bring in the warm bloods, which are just a complete step up to the other types of horses that are around. Is that what you find is happening, that they don't know how to ride them, care for them because they are so different to the other horses? Yeah, this is definitely a part of um, of what we see a lot. Mm. For example, in Mexico, where they this is Mexico is a big um, country where they have um, horses in their culture for hundreds of years. So they yes. they grow grow up with with horses. So it's not that they that that uh, the the creature horse is completely new for them. But since they started importing so many horses from Europe, so the the German horses and European horses. Um, yeah, that is a whole different um, kind of horse, and, and exactly what you said with um, the movement from a thoroughbred to um, to a warm blood, that is exactly what they are facing also in um, in these countries. In China, they have these old, um, or not old, but the um, original um, local uh, ponies, and they are small, they are easy, they have very nice calm temperaments yeah and then riding a warm blood that is another another game and then what we also see is um yeah, so next from that the type of horse is changing is also their ambition is changing a lot so before they were just using the horse um on the land or just as an um um yeah as a vehicle to go from a to b mm-hmm. So from and now they start to really ride a little bit more serious, and they have ambitions to go to the um, Central American Games or China or Equestrian Games. Um, yeah, and these kind of competitions. Yeah, therefore you need to uh, to step up a few um, a few levels. So that is what we see a lot. That um, yeah, that it's a combination of changing the type of horse and then also changing ambitions there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. 
Tell us about you working with another team, but I'm interested in people who've influenced you and helped you in your career. It may be someone on your current team. Who's influenced you? Who's helped you? Yeah, we started um, initially because I remember um, when I was living in Mexico very clearly that people invited me to come to their barns to, to teach and train there. And then I was standing in the middle of the arena and I was looking around and I saw like on one side a horse tied up on a on a tree uh, on their bits and then I saw another horse that only had like one uh, shoe left on their forelegs and I saw uh, saddles that were not fitting properly and I saw bits too high or too low and I saw all different kind of um yeah conditions that that were not properly um uh, met so the horses could could perform well and at the same time, I was being asked just to come there and train. But I really realized that how is it possible for me to to teach in the arena, like the riding technique, if if there are so many um, conditions that are not being met. So um, that's where where I at least really started to to see that it's first had to to build up from the the bottom. So so make sure that that everything um, around the horse is in order and it's uh, taken care of, and then the riding part comes in. So when we, um, this is also, by the way, what Carlijn really saw in China. So that was a very, um, yeah, that that really uh, was exactly the same for her there. So when we first started, we didn't focus on the riding part. So we were really a company um, giving groom courses, um, educating people about um, feeding, about diseases, about how to take good care, and all these kind of topics that, in our um, opinions, were very important. Still believe they are, by the way. Um, but people, they um, or our clients, they buy horses from Europe, and then they, uh, for example, they buy a jumping horse, and then after a couple of months, the horse starts to refuse, and the horse doesn't jump anymore. So what they face is a problem that is very directly visible in the arena. And so they feel, okay, I need a trainer to solve this problem. So then when we just um, first got in touch with, for example, this client, um, said, yeah, I need a trainer because my horse doesn't jump anymore. And then we started to explain about our, for example, the groom course. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and then we just go over all the details and all the other important points that that, that you need in order to um, to to make your horse uh, being able to perform well. But then there was this mismatch between what the market actually wanted and where the market thought what was the solution, a trainer, and what we saw was the problem. For example, a saddle that wasn't fitting or um, people not doing a warming up properly. So what they were doing is they were just taking the horse out of the stall for uh, twice or or three times a week, and then they would just jump him over 120. And that's the thing that does a horse a few times if it's a good jumper. But then after a while, the horse starts to think like, hey, this doesn't feel good to my body. I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. So this is where we had the mismatch between the market and what we actually um, saw. So then we started also to give some more um, lessons in the arena. So we started to have some more riding lessons. And that really helped so people could get to know us. We could get to know them. We started to learn um, the market better. 
And then from there, we started to work together other trainers, so the team was growing. We have another trainer full-time in Mexico right now, and then we have some other trainers that go all over the world for other projects. Um, yeah, and then we work together with veterinarians and farriers here in the Netherlands, but this is not a very um, intensive uh, partnership, but these are just always on our side that if we have a problem abroad, like for example with um, uh, the way a horse or if one of our clients is, is um, having his, his shoes done, that if I have questions, because um, we really um, are very honest that we are no vets, we're no chiropractors, we're no physios, we're no farriers. Um, and so, and we don't pretend that we have all the knowledge about this, but we do have this big network of, of professionals so that if we have a question or if I have a video from horse that I see a little bit irregular, that I can show it uh, to our vet, or if we have x-rays in one of the countries that, that we can show them. So this is a little bit how we um, how we work with this team remotely, mainly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. No, that's good. That's good. Of all the work that you've done, you know, thinking that you how long have you been? How long have you been set up? How long have you been a business? In in this business, um, started. I moved to Mexico five years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've been um, actually, yeah, that's where I started to see the problem. Um, but the, the years that I was living in Mexico, I was just a rider and a trainer, so I saw a lot, but I was not really into uh, into the business that, that I'm doing right now. And then three years ago, we founded Equine Support International. Yeah, so it's only uh, been three years, yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, with all the horses that you've helped, you know, the horses, the riders, the going into centres, what do you think is your proudest case study? You know, your proudest horse that you've helped, your proudest change around. Have you got one that you can tell me about? I have a few, I think. Um, there are always some cases that um, that you see a horse or, or you're just walking around the stables and, and people are, are showing you like, hey, this is a horse that we have really big troubles with or it has been um, health issues or behavioral problems or... And then sometimes they ask me like, hey, can you maybe get on to see what you feel? And then yeah, these are sometimes horses that, that really when we go back uh, together to the hotel at the end of the day, that, that really, yeah, makes us sad. And that these are the horses that really touch us. Um, and this is also motivation for us to continue the work because we don't want to close our eyes for what's happening. Um, so so there's there's not, a, not like a few um, in particular that, that cases that I... Um, that I can discuss, but there are like horses that, um, yeah, that have been facing quite some some problems, whether it was physical or mentally. Um, but it's nice to see that over like a year or two years of intensive training and more than training, also um, saddles everything around it. Um, that you see the horse changing and also the rider and, and yeah we have had a few cases where yeah now people are sending us like videos um, from competitions that they're all over the moon because they um, they rode so uh, so well mm. so yeah that's that's very nice to see but it's also and that's something that you have to be very realistic about it's a long way 
And especially because people normally, when we come uh, in a stable, they have been trying it most of the times already for a long time. So it's it's not something that you can change um, like over a week or over a month. Um, a little bit depending on on the yeah the severity of the problems, obviously. But yeah, it is something that takes time. And horses in general, uh, training horses, training riders, takes time because it's it's not an easy sport. And um, and this is also something that we really try to explain to people that yeah these these good cases that we have. That is because people were really, really um, um, continuing um, and listening very carefully and really following all the uh, instructions and all the tips that we gave them. And then with that perseverance, they managed to, um, to, to get their horses happy and healthy again. Yeah, but it's not an easy way, no. No, no, I was going to ask you, you know, because going into a country, particularly one that doesn't, you know, has a different language and then you're going in, you're trying to change the culture within that country is difficult exactly. anyway, yeah. you know, and but you're not only mm-hmm. trying to change the culture, you're going in saying I want to change the culture and I want you to spend more money on getting a new saddle and doing this differently and, you know, it takes a lot of effort. What do you think has been the biggest challenge on, um, you know, being going into a new, a new country or a new stable or a new property and having to change the culture of horse care and horse welfare? Yeah, well, it's very interesting because this is really um, one of the parts that I really enjoy about uh, the the work that I do right now. It is the traveling, it's the, the working with horses, but more than anything, it's also um, about psychology and communication and culture. Um, so what we always do is we don't try to change the culture, but we just try to understand the culture as good as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there we explain like, okay, um, regardless the culture of the people, um, this is what a horse needs, whether it's a horse in China or in Mexico or in Australia, a horse always stays a horse. Um, and the horse has its basic needs. So we really try to um, understand culture. And that means, yeah, well, Mexico is a very um, machismo culture. And then um, the opposite is, is China, where there is not a big difference between male and female, but there's a big difference in hierarchy. So how you are in the um, in an organization. Yeah, so so understanding these kind of uh, cultural differences that really helps us to um, to to get our um, work done there. Yeah. Sure, sure. Now, to do with the riding, you know, you said earlier that they may do something like just bring the horse out of the stable three times a week and just you know pop it over a meter twenty without a warm up, without any any sort of anything else in between. The actual faults that you see riders, you know, to do with the training, you know, that's that's like a lack of understanding. But the the faults that you see, what's a common fault that you are seeing, and what do you tell them to do to fix it to improve their performance? Yeah, to do with working, you know, within Mexico, within China, wherever you're going, to do with the riders, not the horse welfare, but the riding. The riding, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, what I see, um, 
I love considering the writing, and I know this is always a very sensitive topic. Um, but what we do see is that um, riders, they force their horses into a frame because this is what they see like on videos and on, on competitions on, on television. So they believe like, okay, this is how my horse should walk so or, or should move. Um, but then they completely forget the techniques from riding the horse from the back to the front. Um, and if you don't understand and if you don't know about this uh, correct way of riding, of really getting your horse towards your hand and really get it, getting the horse to trust your hand, yeah, then you just really skip a very few important uh, chapters in your training. Um, yeah, and then all the horses, they are um, so willing and it's amazing actually to see in what way um, or in what impossible positions sometimes they still do their jobs and yeah that really makes me believe that that these are the most wonderful and, and willing animals that that there are um so from here i i really think that um riding the horse from the back to the front that is where it all starts and and getting your horse over the back where he can lift up his withers but this is something that you that in a way, people that know this, yeah, that everybody might have heard this or might have read this, um, but then actually really doing it, that's a whole different story. That's another thing, because I think many people, um, um, and th this was also me when I was younger, when I, when I didn't really um, ride like this, like dishonest, I need to say, um, because, it, yeah, you always have people standing on the side of the arena where looking at you or watching you. And, yeah, how often do you just, even though sometimes you can just do it very, um, very friendly, just asking the horse to come on, come down with your head, because that is what, what we are always so focused on. And I really believe that let's just focus a little bit more on the hindquarters and getting doors over the back and and moving correctly and then from there you can really start your training and then riding becomes nice and yes. that is such a big difference uh, from there if you have the feeling that a horse really moves over its back and that you don't have to um, force the horse down every stride with your reins and then you can relax your shoulders and you can sit up nicely and yeah then riding becomes a pleasure and then it becomes fun for both you and the horse yes but i yes. do still see um lots of riders struggling with this part yeah in my I, eyes i was the most going to say that, that, that i don't think that's just in mexico or china either i think that's sort of a worldwide phenomenon yeah, so it's some um, good for all yeah things. and it's a sensitive thing still yes. yeah yes yeah if you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. And um, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? Something that's going to help them improve their knowledge, their education? Well, if I can give a little bit a creative sure. answer to Absolutely. this. <laughs> I don't really have um, um, right now a book that I really um, can recommend because it's such a big group, and I really like to um, to, to recommend books to people I know. So um, I can recommend something a little bit more personal. Yeah. I was going to say, what about a book that's helped you in your career? Um, I really liked um, the book Inside Your Ride from Tonya Johnson. Yes. I think she's been yes, here she before. Is. 
Um, this is a book about mental uh, mental training for riders. It's a very interesting read, I think, for every rider because we all face um, so many struggles are actually in our heads and not in the riding or in the, in the taking care of the horse. Uh, and this is also a little bit regarding the last question about the correct way of riding. Um, we have in the Netherlands a very um, ambitious young entrepreneur. Her name is Connie Loonstra, and she's the owner of Dressage Pro. And she really has lots of videos about how to really ride correctly. And she has this huge goal to really make this knowledge available for everybody over the whole world. Um, so if there's anything that I can recommend, then it's really her website and all the videos that she uh, that she uploads. Yeah, she works together with the Dutch uh, team coach right now. And, and yeah, it's amazing to see what they do and what how they, yeah, how they set up their goals. That's really uh, very inspiring to see as well. Yeah. And remember, you can find all the books recommended by our guests at horsechats.com slash books. You can have a look at the guest page for the individual book they recommended or just look at the recommended books by order of popularity at horsechats.com slash books. What are you looking forward to at the moment? You know, what have you got planned in the next 12 months, two years? Um, our summers are always very busy because lots of people from over the whole world are coming to train here in the Netherlands with us yes. during the summer. So we have um, workshops here. We have um, excursions. We take people to breeding stables, to the KWPN Center, to big international competitions, to tech shops if yes. they want. Um, and then every morning we ride, we have workshops. Um, so they really get an, an insight in the Dutch equine industry. And we have nice dinners and, uh, and a good time together, which I think is also yes. very nice. Um, so summer is always very exciting for us. And then we're planning on, um, yeah, working towards our own center in the next year. Uh, so hopefully next summer we have a little bit more from ourselves where we can... Um, yeah, can have more people and also have people stay at the same uh, place where also the horses are and have nice guest rooms. Um, because right now we use some other stables as well where we work together with. But yeah, it's always been our dream to uh, really have our own place. Yes. So that would be uh, something very okay. big for us. Okay. Yeah, well, that's good. Now, would you be able to summarize your philosophy with horses as well, just into a couple of sentences? I would say um, be sincere, be honest, um, and be creative. Okay. So in a way that um, that be creative if you have problems with your horses, be creative in uh, finding your niche market if you have the ambition to start working in the equine industry, be honest to your horse, but also be honest to the people around you and the people you work with. Because I see that there's lots of things going on in the equine industry, and I think um, personal integrity is uh, is something that we really need in the in the equine industry. Honest people. So yeah, being honest and sincere and creative, both to your horse and to uh, and to others around you. Okay, that's great. Now, and before you go, what's the best way for people to contact you? Yeah, sure. We are on um, Facebook and on Instagram. On Facebook, uh, you can find us on Equine Support International and on Instagram on Equine Support underscore ESI. And then we also have a regular webpage, equinesupportinternational.com. 
where you can find all information and also our contact details. Okay. Now, and the other thing is too that we'll have those details just in case anyone didn't get them. They'll be on horsechats.com and then it will be Anna Loosevelt, but it, it's spelled A-N-N-E-L-O-O-S-V-E-L-D or else just go to horsechats.com and search for A-N-N-E or search for L-O-O-S-V-E-L-D and you'll find those details as well. Yeah, Anna, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you, great finding out a bit more about Equine Support International. We'd love to have you back again sometime soon just to go into a little bit more detail, a bit more depth into some of those subjects. And uh, it sounds like you're doing a really great job for horses internationally and I think that's sort of the main thing if we're thinking about generally horse welfare around the world. I think you're sort of part of the puzzle and part of the journey of people that are making it happen. So that's great, great job. Mm, Thank you very much. I would love to be back. Thank you for having me. Okay then. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Anna. Bye-bye. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 